Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, just come with me to Acts, the third chapter. We're going to get right into this situation here. And I just want to give you just a brief reminder of where we have been and um, where we're going. So in the first chapter, they're still asking dumb questions. His best guys. And then Peter starts to discern by the Holy Spirit that Judas's position needs to be filled. There's a, there's a very important principle there that we can learn that we are all replaceable. If we're not faithful, God will pick someone else. Because the kingdom of God is ever increasing with or without us. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, so that's something to just consider. That's why it's really something that we should be thankful that God called us and God chose us. So anyway, they discern that it's necessary for his position to be occupied. And so then they, get, they have one prerequisite, and that prerequisite is someone that has been with them from the beginning. And so then Matthias, they, you know, another guy, they roll the dice. Very real, really spiritual guys. Uh, you know, there wasn't like, you know, we prayed and fasted all weekend. And God spoke to us. It was like, why don't we just roll the dice on this one? And uh, so that was uh, the executive decision. And so anyway, they did that. And Matthias came up. And so he, that shows you something powerful that, you know, um, consistency can give someone a voice that has no voice. You, didn't, you never heard his name. He wasn't in the mix. But since he was there, he was faithful, he was consistent, God brought him forward in the providence of God, right? So then you have the Holy Spirit comes, and when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit comes in the third hour of the day. Now that's very significant, why? Because you have two things. You have a morning sacrifice, which is 9 a.m., and then you have the evening sacrifice, which is 3 p.m. So Jesus began to suffer at 9 a.m. And he gave his life from the tree at 3 p.m., fulfilling Jesus as the morning and the evening sacrifice. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? Now, don't worry. We're going to get into the 3 p.m. Uh, this 3 p.m. thing in a second. So, you know, the Holy Spirit comes, right? They're all in one place in one accord, which to get Christians in the same place for the same reason at the same time, that's supernatural. Um, it was a shrinking prayer meeting. Remember that. It, was, it goes from 500 to 120. So the people, again, you see this, this theme of the people who have perseverance, the people who hang on, the people that keep waiting, the people that tarry, the people that keep on keeping on, somehow get what other people tap out, don't have access to. And see, this is the thing. In this environment, you had to be in the room. There was no live stream. 
There was no, I'm going to catch this on YouTube later. And I don't say that to, to, to make anyone feel guilty. You know, we have technology, great. But there are some moments in your life where you just need, you need to be in the room. If you're not in the room, you'll miss it. You'll rob yourself if you're not in the room. And in America, you know, they think that we don't pray enough. We don't pray enough, so we got to pray more. Okay. The founder of the whole prayer movement just went awry. The issue in America is not that we don't pray. The issue in America is that the right men are not in the room praying together. See, what happened here is you had these guys and the women, by the way. So women are not discluded, let me say that. Anyone who wants to disclude women from ministry doesn't even make any sense. Do you know how many things a powerful woman can do? You too. Sarah, Tina, Deborah. I mean, these women, they can, you know, Monica, these are, you preach, pray, prophesy, and rescue people. I mean, women are, in fact, if you want to start an army, maybe you get women. I mean, because, I mean, they tried a kid's army in Africa. I mean, a women's army, that would be really wild. Imagine a woman's army. Listen, you ever get a woman judge? You're going to jail. You're going straight to jail forever. They're going to, you're in trouble. So anyway, the women were in this meeting. I want to say that. The women, God wanted the women in that meeting. The women were in that meeting because Joel 2 says, your sons, your daughters, that's important. God comes and, and gives dignity and gives a voice, not, even, not only just women, but slaves. So God is the great dignifier of people who bear his image and likeness. So anyway, the Holy Spirit comes. Now you know that the, the, the building, where are they? They're on the upper room. Where, where, where God has come, he will come again. You know, we're just doing the refreshing here. And that upper room, did you know that's where Jesus had the Last Supper? That's where John put his head on the bosom of Jesus and had access. Peter's like, ask him. Because Peter knew that John had access that Peter didn't. See? The people who press in get more. Everyone is sleeping. John is up listening to Jesus pray to the Father. John outruns Peter to the, you know, there's always something there. He's always pressing. John shows up at the foot of the cross. John is the last man standing. You always get more if you press. So anyway, this is the, the Holy Spirit comes while they're all sitting. The principle there is that rest, not striving. Remember the priest, he had to wear linen. Why did the priest wear linen? Because you cannot sweat in the presence of God. Not because he was Dominican. You ever see those Dominican suits, all white? So, no, no, no. So the priests wear linen because you do not strive your way into the presence of God. Do you know coming into the presence of God is supernatural? You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Says? He said, if the Father doesn't draw you, you cannot come. They should know full well what that means. Because, what, what, is, what, what am I talking about? Well, there's no slit in the veil. There's no, do you know that every time the priest stepped through the veil, that was supernatural? If the Father doesn't draw you, you cannot come. That's why the priest, I don't even know why we're in this. The priest had 
a rope on their ankle in case they walked into the presence of God irreverently, they would be dragged out dead. See, that's the thing. When you, when you forget the types and the shadows and the messages of the Old Testament, you get a cheap grace that has no understanding of the ways of God and misses the severity of God in the New Testament. One of the things that's often missed in Scripture is the mercy of God in the Old Testament and the severity of God in the New Testament. That's a, that's a whole misreading. So it's almost like God was two different people, you know, like God is double-minded or he was off his medicine in the Old Testament and all of a sudden he's happy now. He's always been happy, but God always has standards and God's word is his standard, not my feelings or not how I feel about his word, but his actual word. So that's important. So anyway, the Holy Spirit came according to the, to the prophecy, you know, Joel, Peter stands up. This is not what you guys think. This is not what you suppose. This, in other words, you're wrong. <laughs> so, so he has to confront the mocking spirit. So apostolic leaders and apostolic preachers have to be able to articulate from Scripture what is happening and what is not happening. They have to be able to communicate from the Scripture what is happening, what is not happening. That's a very, very important thing so that we can reconcile what's going on. Um, it's really hard to reconcile people to God if you don't even, can't even reconcile what the heck is going on in reality. And so anyway, that's, I got to get out of that. It's getting, all right. So Peter preaches this whole amazing sermon, as you know, and uh, he, he uses, he's, he's literally preaching the fulfillment of Psalm 110.1, standing on David's tomb because the upper room was built on David's tomb. So now we're going to go from David's tomb to Solomon's temple. Watch this. We're going to go into Acts 3. This is what I wanted to get into. That was all just a refresher to, to get us where we're, where we're at. And uh, so Acts 3, and P now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You know what the ninth hour is? 3 p.m. So Pentecost was the morning sacrifice, according to the prophecy of David, from the womb of the morning, Psalm 110, from the womb of the morning. Yeah. And so now this is the 3 p.m. So now James, um, excuse me, Peter um, and John are going together to the temple. This is important. They're together. Remember Jesus sent them two by two? Together. There's something beautiful about together. So these guys have, have, these are the guys that have stuck, stuck it out. These are the guys that have been with him. These are the guys. So they're together still. And you know that when Jesus called them, before even Jesus called them, they were together. So never, never, never underestimate the power of shared history. That's a very important thing. Okay. So they come and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John uh, about to go into the temple, asked him for alms. So, okay, so basically this guy, he's, he has no name, right? He's lame. So now his identity is in his condition. My arthritis. Or my, you ever hear someone say that? I go, whoa. 
that's not, that's not, <laughs> I was like, whoa, I don't, I don't think you want that. You may be battling arthritis, but I don't, I, I wouldn't call it yours because if you, you know what I mean? You're saying it's yours, you tend to keep it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so be careful with what you say is yours. You might just be yours. So, uh, you know, but anyway, so now this guy is a beggar and he is at the gate called beautiful. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, someone can fact check me, but I believe that they're on the east side of the wall. And um, so anyway, he's here. Now, he's, this is a smart beggar. He knows folks are going to church. So it's like he posts up outside like, you know, these are giving people, praying people. So he, you know, this guy has, a, has, a, has something going on. And um, so he's there. Now, the word beautiful is fascinating because the word also means timely, flourishing. So now he is at the right place at the right time. So you've got, you've got to catch this. You've got, you've got to really see this now. Let me, I'm, I'm going to give you all the, the different renderings of this word here because this is important. He was at the gate called beautiful. It means this, belonging to the right hour or season. It means timely, beauteous, beautiful, and flourishing. So you got a man who is not flourishing at the gate of beautiful and flourishing at the right time. Now, you know what gates speak of? Gates speak of authority. Gates speak of government. So now he's going to come in contact with a different government. See, because the people that are going into this temple to pray do not have power to represent the people or the person that they think they're praying to. Peter and John do. So let me explain what I'm saying by that. These guys can throw them five bucks or a sandwich, but they have no power to change his situation. Because unbelief renders people powerless. Okay, let's continue. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. When I, I have, I have a, a friend, a pastor friend in Haiti used to cast out demons and he would say, God him more, God him more. And God him more in Haitian is, look at me, look at me, in Creole. So he would always tell the demon-possessed person, look at me, look at me. And, uh, and so that's, God him more. And he would make them look at him. He wants them to look in his eyes. He wants them to see the light. So Peter says, look at us. Listen. If someone says, look at me, that means they're serious. I tell my kids if they're not, I grab the little guy, I'm gonna whoop you, I'm gonna beat you up. Like, look at me. Like, so now there's Peter is, is looking to build expectation in this man. So he says, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Listen to me. Every time you give your attention to something, 
you are expecting to receive something from what you give your attention to. Most of the time, it does not deliver what it promises. No matter how shiny, no, it does not deliver the allure of the promise. What, what, what just happened in here 45 minutes ago, you cannot buy it. All the money in the world cannot buy what you are experiencing in your heart and on your physical body and on your mind. Not all of the money in the world. That's why I said you cannot find that in the world. You cannot find refreshing in the world. You cannot find relief in the world. You cannot find revival in the world. But in the word and in the presence, you can find what you need and what you're looking for. So I can say that because I'm telling you I've searched and I'm telling you for sure you cannot find that in the world. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter says, silver and gold, I do not have because I just started ministry. <laughs> he said, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he knew, he knew that he had authority. When you look at the progression of Peter's ministry, you will see something fascinating. In here, in the beginning, he's using the name of Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. At the end, in Acts, when he raises the dead, he doesn't say in the name of Jesus. He says, wake up, because it's Jesus speaking in him. So in the beginning, he's using Jesus' name. In the end, Jesus is using his mouth. I am crucified with Christ. The life that I live, I no longer live in the flesh, but by the faith of the Son of God, of, which proceeds from. So you see the progression of the formation of Jesus, which Paul wrote about, in the life of Peter. So in the beginning, he's using Jesus' name. He's understanding his authority. But in the end, he's not even using Jesus' name. Jesus has put him on like a glove, and Jesus is using his mouth. That's the formation of Jesus and a man. So anyway, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was him who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Why were they filled with wonder and amazement? Because that was not normal. You know, God left this temple a long time ago. That's why the angel of the Lord had to speak to Zechariah. If an angel has to speak in God's house, it's because God doesn't live there. So God is no longer dwelling in glory in this building. Now the building or the temple is his people. So the real temple is not Solomon's building. It's John and Peter. 
This is a different season. This is a different time. But yet, God in his mercy was in the habit of showing up in this place. And where he's come, he will come again. So now God is extending his mercy and his grace toward his people Israel. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. This word here is in Greek, he sees them. He is like squeezing them. He's like, you know, like a kid. If you ever, if you, <laughs> have you ever had a kid like jump on your leg and you're like going like this? <laughs> it's like they are seizing you. I mean, this guy is so thankful. He is squeezing them, like not letting them go because he was just in a position of poverty, of sickness, of shame, of dependence, of isolation, and now he's up. See, when the kingdom comes, everything changes. Okay, now, um, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is Solomon's greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. So now Peter, the, the gospel, you have to understand this. The gospel comes two ways. Proclamation and demonstration. So that is like evangelism is signs and wonders. Or when Jesus was moving as a rabbi or as a teacher, it would be demonstration and explanation. So if he's moving in the office of an evangelist, it would be proclamation and demonstration. But if he's moving as a rabbi or as a teacher, it is demonstration and explanation. So the idea biblically that teachers don't move in signs and wonders is not a New Testament idea. If you, if you, look, if you look carefully, if you watch real carefully, I, I don't want to bring attention to myself, but I want to bring attention to what happens. If you look at our sermon series, many times there's things that follow that that are supernatural in nature. We talked about money. A whole bunch of people got promoted. Amen. In other words, this is the thing that I'm trying to explain to you. This is not about me, just to be very clear. When you preach the word of God, when you agree with God, right? So this works for you, me, anyone. When you agree with God and you align yourself with God, God does what he says he will do. Okay. Now, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? So what Peter does is he does something very smart and wise. He deflects it. And he does not make it about him. So you're seeing two different things. Two minutes ago, Peter says, look at me. Now he's saying it's not about me. So this is a very important principle. You have to know the authority you have. It's yours. He gave it to you. But it's not about you. It's about him. But if you don't know you have it, you can't use it. Peter was very clear. He said, look at me. Silver and gold I don't got. But what I do have, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So you have to know that you have spiritual authority. Do you know in, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, go and heal the sick? He didn't say go pray for the sick. He said, go and heal the sick. 
Go and heal this. In other words, he commanded us to be supernatural because he would be with us in the going. And if we would extend our faith through obedience, he will manifest his power. Do you see every single person healed? No. But you will see more people healed if you lay hands on people than if you do nothing. The same way if you preach the gospel, you don't preach the gospel, nobody's going to get saved. Now, you could be in Africa and someone would knock on your shoulder and say, I want to get saved today, but this is in Rwanda and we're not in a village, so you better talk to people. So anyway, <laughs> men of Israel, why? Okay, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you delivered the Holy One and the just, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. Look at that. He's really, he goes in on them. And let me, can I just say something nicely and gently? You know, Peter is not anti-Semitic because he's Jewish. <laughs> he is talking about the religious Jew, Jewish power structure of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and the corrupt high priest. These were corrupt people. And Jesus was a threat to their hustle and to their system. And they didn't like that. And Pilate said, this is guys has done nothing wrong. That's why when Pilate washed his hands, he said, no, no, this is not my doing. I didn't do this. And then remember what Jesus said. Remember what the, the religious Pharisees said. They said, let his blood be upon us and our children. And guess what? In 70 AD, it was. So be careful what you say, because you may get what you say. So anyway, but now they're in a season of mercy. God is extending his mercy. Okay. You killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead. This is an essential element of the gospel, because they killed him, God raised him up. The resurrection is vindication. The resurrection is vindication of the innocence of Jesus. This is very important because the Christian hope is not we fly away on a cloud someday. But the Christian hope is a resurrection, is an incorruptible physicality where we put on immortality, where the incorruptible seed within us flourishes and we put on immortality. And we have a human body that lasts forever like Adam had before sin. Like Jesus has after sin and death. And the only thing that's different about his is his will forever bear the proof of our purchase on his body. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have no stretch marks. Maybe some of you don't have stretch marks. Some of us, we got some stretch marks. If you have babies, you're going to get stretch marks no matter how skinny you are. And guess what? Jesus is the only one that bears the proof of our purchase in his body. Amen. Okay, that's good news. All right. Of his name, through faith in his name, he has made this man strong. You see that? He has made this man strong. Faith, excuse me, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. So it was faith... In his name. Do you know what name means in Greek? Name means character and authority. So that's so character 
is the essence of who you are and your authority is what you have the ability to do. Faith in his name. If I, if I lack faith, I am questioning the integrity of God. That's what unbelief is. That's what my spiritual father taught me, Steve Stewart. Unbelief is questioning the integrity of God. All right. Yes, faith which comes through him. You see that? Isn't that good? Doesn't that take the pressure off you? It comes through him. He has given perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. So now he gives them the benefit of the doubt. He's being nice now. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ or the Messiah would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That also means obliterated, washed away. Repent, therefore. Can I say something to us just very honestly and truly? You cannot preach Jesus without repentance. Anytime someone tries to preach Jesus without repentance, they are not preaching the real Jesus. Jesus' ministry began with, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now let me, let me just help you with repent because we don't get repent. Repent is not feel bad. Repent is think right. So, so in repenting, we're looking for like a bad feeling, but God is looking for right thinking. Now, on the other side of that same coin, godly sorrow does work repentance. So there is a realm of deep grief and feeling profound, uh, profoundly negatively <laughs> about sinfulness because of the great price he paid for us to be free from and not be punished for sin and iniquity, right? So, so there should be buyer's remorse, you know, if, if you do something wicked and evil. But that is not repentance. That's godly sorrow that works repentance, which is necessary. But the repentance portion is to begin to think Correctly. Why? Because if you think correctly, you'll speak correctly. There's a connection between your mind and your mouth. People say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. No, the problem is you really did mean to say that. That's the real issue. <laughs> it's like it is actually scientifically, and since we trust the science, it is scientifically impossible to say something that you didn't think about previously, according to neuroscience. So, since we're so, such educated people, uh, let's just believe that, you know, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, out of the abundance, there's two, two meanings there. One is out of the overflow, and one is out of the leftover. What you left over, what you, have you ever put something in the fridge? And you go, oh, ooh, ooh, that's nasty, that thing starts smelling like death. Well, sometimes that stuff is in people's heart. And then you agitate them, and then they spit some venom out on you, and you go, whoa. 
I didn't know you've been resenting me for the last six months. You know, like I thought we were we was all right. You know, but you have something left over in there that is spoiled. So okay. Anyway, now repent. Therefore, and be converted. So it. So repentance. Follow me. Repentance leads to conversion. So now Peter is doing the same thing that Jesus was saying, but with different words. Jesus said, lest you understand and be converted, or lest you understand and be healed. This is the same idea. The, the, the repentance or the understanding or the thinking and understanding how you think and why you think is the thing that leads to healing or conversion. Because think of conversion as healing. You're coming back to the Father. You're turning your back on the devil, on sin, on iniquity, on wickedness, on everything that will dehumanize you and damage you anyway. You're turning your back on that. You're turning your face toward God. Okay? This is the heart of God. This is what I want to get to for just, just a few minutes, and, uh, and that's it. Okay. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that... So follow this process. So that... Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the, the, the word presence is not presence. It is the face of God. The face. The Bible said that God spoke to Moses face to face like a man speaks to his friends. God said, if there's a prophet among you, I'll speak to him in parables. But Moses, I speak face to face with. So God was not dealing with everyone the same. But in Jesus, God deals with us all the same face to face. The veil has been removed. We've been brought in by the blood. So God could speak to us face to face so that there is no confusion. You cannot stand in front of God and go, I didn't hear you. You didn't tell me. You know, if you're listening, it's clear. You may not like it, but it's clear. So now this is, this is the thing. Repent or change the way you think so that conversion, forgiveness, and refreshing can come. Now, it says this, times, not chronos, not watch time, kairos, which is a divine moment in time like this lame man that triggered this sermon, <laughs> just, just you saw. That was, he was at the right time, at the right place. Now, this is important. You, you know that we under, because of, of, of social media and because of the digital age, this is something that we have lost. And I don't want to go, you know, I'm not here to bash our, our time. I really like our time, actually, quite honestly. But there is something that we can miss and lose if we're not aware of, as N.T. Wright said it this way, the way Sabbath is to time. Remember that? Temple is to space. 
say that again. What Sabbath is to time, temple is to space. So hallowed and sacred spaces are very important. Set apart spaces for a specific purpose. Paul says that the marriage bed is undefiled. That is a place for a purpose. Hopefully you get your purpose on in there, but that's a purpose. There are certain spaces in your life, right? Think of the bathroom. You cook dinner in the bathroom? No, you don't. You shower in the bathroom. You go to the bathroom in the bathroom. The bathroom has a specific reason that you're there. We, we in, our, in our generation, we can lose the sacredness of space, which is very dangerous, and we can also lose the sacredness of time, which is very, like, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, but it's like we got to be alert because it can be, it can be something. You, you have to have in your spirit discernment to know when you're supposed to be somewhere. You, nobody, we don't want to manipulate you, pressure you. For, we don't, you have to ask the Holy Spirit where you need to be. Sometimes it's very convenient and it works. Sometimes it's profoundly inconvenient and, and requires you to rearrange your plans. Like today my pastor texted me, I want to get all the pastors together this time. So I had to rearrange what I wanted to do based on his authority. Right? So, so sometimes you have, to, you have to adjust what you're doing because you have a sense in which something is supposed to take place at a specific time with a specific group of people for a specific purpose. Even if you don't understand what that is, you show up. So this is, this is uh, something, okay, now. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now the word refreshing here is, is a profound word, but it, it is a word in which the scriptures speak. And I'm going to give you again just, just some of this, what this means. So refreshing, it means a recovery of breath. Do you remember? Do you remember just two years ago? I can't breathe! Do you know that that situation, that was like our whole country. People think that that was a black guy dying on drugs or dying at the hands of a cop. Whatever, however you want to interpret that, it was very terrible and very sad and very dehumanizing. And he said, I can't breathe. And you know what? Our nation was suffocating. The church was suffocating. A lot of people were suffocating and couldn't breathe. You ever, you ever go into a pool and you got to come up for air because you feel like you're going to explode? Yeah? Well, times of refreshing is the recovery of breath. It's almost like when God puts his people on the floor and breathes and CPRs them. And God breathes life into the, peop into the people. See, that's what's happening here. See, God is breathing life into people. So let him breathe life into you. Now, another word is, is a fascinating word. It is the word revival. Another way to say this situation is to refresh, 
to relieve, to cool off. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of, you know, when you look at the Greek, the Greek is like the Hebrew, it's like Portuguese or Spanish or French. It's not really like English. <laughs> like it, it, so there's pictures. And so God, with his face and with his countenance, wants to breathe mouth to mouth. Face to face, breathe life into his people. See, where you go for refreshing will determine if you're refreshed or only more asphyxiated. Is that the right word? Is that a big word? So, so if, you, if you are not doing well, what you turn to is a real teller of where you are. Some people, I cannot, they cannot breathe. They need refreshing. They need uh, a, 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 what do they need? They need life. And so they turn to smoking. You, you need breath. You don't have breath in you. And now you're sucking smoke and putting it down your lungs. You, you're looking for relief. And so you hit the bottle. Or, or the internet, or the refrigerator, and all of that stuff just makes people worse. They cannot get what they need. They cannot get that sense of relief, that sense of the burden lifting, that sense of, you know, when you're real hot and mad and you just, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's, they cannot get that from the world. Because the world doesn't have it. Just more, exactly. More bondage. All right. And that, watch this, and that he may send Jesus, whom was preached to you before, whom heaven, watch this, must receive until, say until, until. the rapture. Oh, it doesn't say that. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Until the restoration of all things. Uh-oh. I get myself in trouble here, but I'm not going to do it because it can be a full hostage, and I'm not going to do that. What I want to show you this is on, I want to show you this on a micro and a macro. So micro would be personal, right? It would be like a little level, right? Am I using the word right? Okay, good. I want to make sure some smart people here. I'll make sure I'm using the right words. Okay. So, on a micro level, in our lives, you know where restoration comes from? Where God begins to restore things that were lost? In the presence of the Lord when we're face to face with God. So, he's talking, Peter here is talking. I'm going to give you the biblical, what he's talking about. And then I'm going to give you a practical application of how that works, practically speaking, in our life. And then I'm going to dismiss you because it's late. So, Peter is talking about the Kairos moments where God is face to face with his people, breathing life into his people. Right? And from that, from that, those times of refreshing, you have then, watch this. Heaven must receive until the times of restoration. Now, this is another fascinating 
This is, you know, you can fact check me. But now the word times here, this second times, is in fact chronos. Which is watch time. Which is like the real ticker. It's not waiting for anyone. Or me or you. So now, you have times of refreshing where God breathes life into his people face to face. He refreshes them. He relieves them. He, in, the, in, in the hopes of restoring them for the restoration of all things. But that takes a different word for time that they use a different, Peter uses a different word for time, which means time. So this is something that's hard for us. We don't like this. But restoration takes time. Have you ever seen someone restore a car? A beautiful old car. If you go to Cuba, you'll see them. You'll see cars from 1957. You open the engine and it has a 2.0 Hyundai engine. They're the best Cubans at keeping something. You not find people like that. Best machinists with nothing. They, they can really, it's really in, incredible. So, that, so to restore something takes time. So don't be in a rush. So now, the people in which God will bring restoration through are the people that have been refreshed by God in his presence. Why? Because if I'm not refreshed, how can I bring restoration? How can, how can Peter say, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, stand up and walk, if he doesn't know what he has? You cannot release what you don't know you have. This is not American Express where you confront. This is, this is real life. If you don't have it, you can't give it. You, you cannot give spiritually what you don't have. See? So anyway, heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like from your brother, and him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And so he, he goes into, he goes in, let me just finish this, these few verses. Okay. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, it's important, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. So that's the chosenness. So when you say, when we say the, the people of God, they are the chosen people, yes, they're not chosen just for the be in the diamond district or to be jewelers and business people. No, 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 no. They're chosen that from that seed, a son would come forth. So the gospel is first to the Jew because the promises were made to the patriarchs. 
It doesn't mean that God is a respecter of persons. It just means that he's keeping his word in who he said it to. This is it's very common sense. It's not, you know, this is not, this is not really um, that hard to understand. So now, he's raised up his servant Jesus and sent him to bless you. And watch how he blesses you. In turning everyone uh, away, in turning away every one of you from your iniquity. So the blessing is God turning you from malice and from maliciousness and from iniquity, which is intentional premeditated sin that leads to death. And not only does it lead to death, but sin stops God from knowing you. I mean, sin, excuse me, stops you from knowing God. Iniquity stops God from knowing you. You can see in Matthew 7, he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So sin stops me from knowing God. Sin breaks human relationships. Sin, but iniquity stops God from knowing you. Jesus stepped in, became sin, was crushed for our iniquity, was crushed for our peace. He was tortured. He paid the price. And the blessing is that he gives us the power to turn us away from the iniquity, which is the thing that dehumanizes us, causes shame, pain, punishment, damage, destroys legacy, hurts finances, brings all, to, I mean, there's nothing good in the long, 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 long run that sin or iniquity does. So now, if you don't repent, and if you don't change the way you think about that, you will think that somehow sin or iniquity will serve you and you will run to it instead of God because you think it has something for you. You will never turn to something that you don't think has something in it for you. Even in giving, there's something in it for you. You know why? Because the Bible says it is more blessed to give than receive. Do you know that they found, they, they hooked people's brain up. This is neuroscience as well. They hooked people's brains up. And this is not even a, a Christian-like thing. And people who receive gifts, there was, a, there was a level of stimulation in their mind. The level of stimulation was higher when they gave. So when you th even in giving, there's something in it for you. You feel good. Even if you don't tell nobody, even if you're not like, oh, look how amazing I am inside, you go, I, that's why you have to watch how you give because sometimes people give out of pride. Have you ever had a winning card when you're playing spades? Anyone play spades here? You played spades? Have you ever had the winning, winning hand and you know you're going to win and you, bang, you smack it down? People give in that same spirit. That's not, that's not a kingdom idea. So, so always do something in a spirit of grace. Not out of, look, you know. All right. So the blessing here is to turn from the iniquity. But if you don't turn in here, you will not turn out here. So this process is an invitation. And you know, like sometimes when you're preaching a message, you're like, okay, how do you respond to this message? Like, okay, it's on missions, we go. Or it's on healing, we pray for the sick. Or This message is really about 
you and us and we getting face to face with God. Whether it's in the secret place in your, in your closet, whether it's in a, a prayer meeting on Friday morning, whether it's in a church service on Sunday, whether it's, you know, you're praying with people at your workplace. What, it doesn't matter where, but it matters who. So it is our pursuit of him. And in that, we're only yielding to his pursuit of us. But that's where refreshing comes. Today, can I tell you something? Can I just be straightforward with you? It takes faith to preach on refreshing when you're cooked. It takes faith. No, 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 I'm telling you. It takes faith to preach on prosperity if you're broke. It takes faith to say that God is a healer when your mom died of cancer. It takes faith to show up when you're suffering and there's sickness in your house. It takes faith to show up when death visited your house and you're singing and praising God on, on, on a Wednesday night. It takes faith. Your marriage is falling apart and you're starting to give your heart to God and your money to God and you're starting to give your ear to God. It takes faith when you're going through something that is contrary to what you believe, but you're passing through that in faith. See, that, when you do that, that's building strength in you to deal with the resistance that you're going to face in the world. And you know what? You're going to face resistance. You know, you know some of the most resistance you will face? will not even be in the world. It will be Christians. Bill Johnson calls them unbelieving believers. You, you will face, why I got to do that? Why, why I got to do this? Why, why, you, you will face resistance from people who say they believe, but when you act on what you believe, it exposes their unbelief and it jostles them, and they're upset with you. Make sure you're not that person. Anytime, let me just say one thing and then I'm done. Anytime you see someone moving in faith, always stand behind that. Always encourage that. Now, if, you, if they're doing something crazy, you may want to pull them aside and say, you know, hey, for the record, I don't think that was faith. You know, but, but if, you, if you see someone in they're purely moving in God, encourage them. Don't, don't feel insecure. Don't let their momentum, you know, you know, jostle you or whatever. Allow people to move at the pace for them because not everyone has the same pace. You don't have grace for my pace. I don't have grace for your pace. You have grace for your pace. You have grace for your day. You have for your walk with God, for your assignment. So, so if we would support each other in our assignment, it would be a mutual edifying and encouraging of one another. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you want to be face-to-face -face with us. God, I'm asking you now that you would lift up your countenance upon your people and that they would feel your delight. They would feel your delight over them. Your word says that you rejoice over them with singing. Lord, that you're a God that rejoices over his people 
that loves his kids. And so I'm asking you, Father, in this season, as we experience times of refreshing from your presence, God, that we would reshape how we think, that we would walk in the forgiveness and in the newness of life, that there would be a deep conversion, a deep turning, and that we would be a part of your restoration plan Amen. in this city, in our families, in the nation, in the nations, Lord, that we would get behind you and stand with one another as we walk with you and move forward in the purposes that you have. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.